Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode we are reading chapters 36 and 37, i.e. the final two chapters of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Fucking shit! Wow, look at that! <laughs> we we did it, so uh, grab a glass and uh, drink, listen. Drink, drink listen. Drink, <laughs> drink, listen. <laughs> along to this reminiscent journey. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, Hello. it's us. We've got a cat. We have. We We didn't tell you. We were going to do this whole joke with you guys about like, we were going to do this whole setup about pretending we were going to introduce a third host and make you all think it was Neil and guess who it was and then it was going to be a cat. But um, the cat I ended up getting is silent, basically, and won't make noise. So it doesn't really work for an audio medium. No, he's he's literally sat on Hannah's lap, like inches away from the microphone right now, getting... Getting his strokes in. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't Completely silent. Yeah. So yeah. we couldn't really do the joke. We could if it was a video podcast, but it's an yeah. audio podcast. But welcome to the podcast, Misu. He is my cat. He's adopted. He's seven years old and he's a grumpy angel. He, yeah. He's also freakishly huge. Yeah, I accidentally got a supersized cat. Like, you think cat, double it in size. That's what I accidentally got. Mm-hmm. He's a large boy. But we like him anyway. We, we love him we anyway. Love him. He's also clinging onto Hannah's phone. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm like, can so I cute. have that? No. Okay, so welcome back to the podcast. It's the final episode of Goblet of Fire. It is. On to thanking some patroners. Yeah, pa- patroners. Patroners. So a mahoosive thank you to you me. You copied my mahoo. You've got to think of a different one. No, I said it first. It came How am I meant to know what you're thinking? A mahoosive thank no, you. No, I said mahoosive last episode. That's what I mean, that we just recorded. But that was two weeks ago for the people listening. Yeah, but I don't care. You've just copied, you've copied my word. That's my word. A I have massive, the copy. A massive thank you. That's to- boring. Shut up. A massive thank you to Mia. A melon size thank you to Melissa. Both of them have joined Team Patreon and are helping to support this podcast. Also, our favourite review of this fortnight was from Hey Lita D. And she says, I was talking to my friends about Harry Potter and accidentally referred to the podcast as us instead of them Cute. because I am constantly forgetting that it is not a two way conversation with my two fave HP English gals. Thanks. That reminds me of that. Have you seen that podcast meme where it's the guy sitting next to the advert for ice cream with the three people laughing? and it's like how I feel when I listen yes. to my favourite podcast because that is how I feel when I listen to my favourite podcast. Mm. Thank you for normalising all my thoughts and ideas about Harry Potter. You guys are literally the best. Thanks. Oh, that is a lovely review. <laughs> and we also have a drink sponsor. It's not a sponsor. A Patreon drink episode. An enabler. An enabler. That's what they are. So Sydney Ray is a producer level patron so therefore got to choose our alcohol this week and she requested that we drink something a ravenclaw would regularly drink yeah so So we went the most basic bitch level we could yeah so i no i do i do agree with what we're drinking (laughs) but you wanted to go more ravenclaw personality and i went basic bitch no 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 but i do i do agree with this because basically we went with the aesthetic of Ravenclaw, which I do think is still Ravenclaw personality. Because when you think of all the really like bookish people that you know, they're all way too invested in like aesthetic. 
So I I do think that this fits. I mean, I think the only other option for a Ravenclaw is something like like a like a whis- like an expensive whiskey yeah. over ice, which we've done a lot of whiskey. Exactly. So we decided to go a cocktail, and we decided to go exciting, and we went for a blue lagoon because it's blue. It's blue. Do you get it, guys? It's blue. blue. Now I've only ever had blue lagoons in the famous. Weatherspoons. Weatherspoons, which where they water it down to fuckery. So I'm excited to try a real homemade one. So for you guys, if you want to make this at home, it is one part vodka, one part blue curacao. I don't know how to say that. Top it up with lemonade and then put orange peel and a little bit of lemon juice in. Ooh, very drinkable. Doesn't taste alcoholic. No, it tastes like... E-numbers. Something dental. You're just thinking that because it's blue and it's what they make you rinse your mouth with. No. Mm. I really like that. I that like is it. well nice. So, on to the final two chapters of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We need to do our thing where we're like, oh my god. We- oh no, wait. What we need to do is the house cup. Oh shit, yeah, fuck. Oh, that's, shit. A, that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. As you guys know, we have a patron that's part of our Discord. Any level on. No, we have a Discord that's part of our Patreon. Any level on Patreon, you become part of our Discord. Part of being our Discord is you are immediately entered into our house cup. Basically, you assign yourself a house when you join the Discord and every message you send gets you between one and three points. We then, because you're in a house, there's a house that wins at the end of every half book and there are prefects and a head human. So as we're reaching the end of Goblet of Fire, it's time to announce all of that. It is. We've done this. This is now the third time. The first time was Hufflepuff won. Woo. I, I say we. I'm not neither of them Hufflepuff. No. The second time, obviously, was Slytherin because we're the best. So we won because Shut obviously. Um, Shut up. So this is now the third time we're doing it despite being on book four because we only started this last one and we do this every like half a season. So every kind of, every time we're halfway through a book, we start a new one. Yeah. So the house... In fourth place... Ooh, I get to do predictions every time. 13,309 points. Do you remember when we first did this, the fourth place house only had 500 points? Yeah. Just for context. Uh, I think it's Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw always have the least. Despite having the most members. They now have the most members. They, they have so for they a while. So they used to have the least and we did a push and suddenly we got so yeah. many Ravenclaws. Are you... They have by far the most members. I still... Yeah, I do. You're right. (gasps) Yes! Did you? You've looked. No, I didn't. I just know that Ravenclaw are often at the bottom. Soz Ravenclaw. Even though we have Ravenclaw drink episode this time. They... Yeah. So you really let the team down, guys. It's just like... They've just... They're too intelligent for us. Yeah. (laughs) They just don't join in with all the shit. So well done, Ravenclaw. Fourth place. In second place. Third place. Third third place, sorry. Uh, Gryffindor, definitely. With 26,427 points. So you think Gryffindor? I do. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. You're wrong. (gasps) Gryffindor got into the top two? It's Hufflepuff. No! Hufflepuff are long-time winners. Yeah. So that means in first place... (gasps) With 40,154 points. Who do you actually think it is, though? I think it's Slytherin, but I want it to be Gryffindor. It's Gryffindor! (laughs) Despite having... 
why leagues the least member of point the least amount of members and despite having me who i'm gonna be honest it's shit for us i get no points i am so bad i am so sorry i cannot I genuinely, and I know I'm Slytherin, I am so happy about this. They've been training behind for so long, but this also means Ravenclaw come and most members, fewest points. You've got to win it for next season. Yeah, Ravenclaw, come Come on. on. So then on to the prefects. So the prefect for Ravenclaw with 4,800 points is the British Nikita. Yes! And I'm so happy because it's so British. Yep. Then the prefect for Hufflepuff with 10,002 <gasps> points is Lauren. Yay. Well done, Lauren. And then the prefect for Slytherin with 13,700 points oh. is M. Well done, M. Which means the Gryffindor prefect and the head human is Cameron. Well done, Cameron. That's so nice that it's like changed around from last time as well. I know. Anyway, Anyway, so that leads us on to the final chapter. So we've got a final chapter 36. The The parting of of the ways. ways. So... Dumbly ties Crouch up and asks McGonagall. Kinky. I knew you were going to say I that. I mean, I know he's David Tennant and he's absolutely gorgeous. Oh. But to be and fair, I would tie him up. If he consented, obviously. obviously. Like, I wouldn't just be like, <laughs> mine. But, you know. He leaves McGonagall with Crouch. They go to Dumbledore's office where Sirius is and there is another great quote, which I think is a great referral to, like, mental health and... and talking through issues where Dumbledore says numbing the pain for a while will only make it worse when you finally feel it which is a great quote and I think is very like relevant to talking through things and not shoving things in a corner until until it comes back and it's yeah. too much so there's just a lot of really good Dumbledore quotes so basically he's asked Harry to talk through everything that happened that night when he Harry- also has Sirius in the room which I really like and I like that Dumbledore made sure Sirius was there because Dumbledore is his teacher and Harry needs Sirius as more emotional support yeah well done Dumbledore Thank for you. once like d- yeah these past few chapters have just been really out of character for Dumbledore <laughs> when Harry tells Dumbledore about Voldemort taking his blood he thinks he sees <laughs> so creepy <laughs> I want to suck your blood I want to suck your blood he thinks he sees a brief moment of triumph on Dumbledore's face which as I've mentioned I'm still confused about the blood thing I want to reread it but it's great how the setup was here in book five with like even Dumbledore being pleased for what was going to happen in book seven like she definitely had everything planned out at this yeah. point she knew what she was doing so I was I was just making the nom 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 blood. blood so then they start talking about Priori and Cantatum and the Wands meeting so Dumbledore explains that when Wands with twin cores so i.e. the same core that came from the same animal when they meet they can't work against each other because they're brother wands. So we're forced. One wand forces the other one to show the spells in reverse. Why? Magic. Why? Magic. Why? Something I questioned with this is the fact, so Dumbledore says the words priori incantatum and then Sirius is like, oh yeah, the, the, the reverse, reverse r- something. So he kind of vaguely knows what it is. I have this question a lot throughout the books because I always feel like the a- adult wizards seem to have like such an intensely in-depth knowledge mm. 
of magic that we never actually see them learn. And even when we kind of have in the sixth book, we see we have them knowing so much less than adult wizards. And I guess you could argue that they missed the last year of schooling. Yes. But it seems like they don't know such an intense amount that there's no way that could all be like the last year of school. And particularly when you have someone like Sirius, you can't even, you know, argue that he learnt it later out on and about and... on the streets he was he was in prison so i don't know it just seems like did did hogwarts get worse <laughs> like, strong possibility because dumbledore keeps hiring shit teachers yeah it just always seems like adults know so much and then kind of I by mean, I sixth suppose year Sirius they is don't... a very intelligent person so might have learned it off his own back like although we know Sirius is a joker but we I... also know that he was the most intelligent person in his year yeah but i like hermione and harry are still really like intelligent and we just don't see them but yeah but it then I suppose me. we stop seeing the in and outs of their lessons come sixth year. Like, we know they learn non-verbal spells, but we really don't know much else about what they learn in sixth year. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there's something that I really, really love in this chapter. And Harry kind of internally thinks a lot about how he doesn't want to tell them. He doesn't want to have to go through telling them and reliving it. Um, but then once he does, because he knows that he, he has to, he, he feels like he can't stop and mm. that if he stops, he won't be able to start again and that he knows that by the time he's done, it will help. And I think if there's any moment in the Harry Potter books I relate to, it's this mm. and this with big things and this with like small things as well. Like quite a lot of the time, something I say to you, Hannah, is, you know, about like work stuff. And I'm like, oh, like I don't tell you everything and I don't really want to talk about it. Yeah, and I then... just forced you to tell me a story when you were like, I don't want to tell you. And I was like, tell me. And yeah. you're like, it will take too long. And I was like, tell me. But like a lot of that is because like I'm such like a stressy person and I find talking about things to be stressful. But at the same time, I know what I'm like and I need to get things out there. So a lot of the time, like I... I know it's good for me that I have to talk through things. Like I'm that I'm so some people don't like to talk about things and mm. they don't find it helps them. I'm I'm a communicator. I need to talk through everything. Oh no, I, I, I like to verbalize. Yeah, every, I like to talk through things out loud. Exactly. I just have to monologue. I, I don't want the other person to <laughs> I even respond. A housemate in university who complained, <laughs> who hated it because she was like, "You talk through everything. Like everything with all of your projects, you verbalize to me. Like it's so annoying." And I was like. You don't actually have to listen. No. I just need someone yeah, to I just speak need to say it, it to. And that's, you know, I will send you essays and I'm like, Hannah, don't read that because you don't have to. You don't have to respond. Like, I just you need to verbalise You send me voice and I just put them on whilst I'm working. And I do listen to them, but I also do I, other things I am amazed them. you don't mute them. But yeah, like, this this is the thing. I need to verbalise it. And, and a lot of the time I don't want to. And sometimes I... I stop myself because I don't want to because I find it really stressful to kind of relive it by yeah. talking about it depending on you know sometimes it can be really trivial but stressful things and sometimes more serious things but mm. I don't want to but I also know it's good for me and I know that once I start I can't stop and I find the process of talking through it really therapeutic so I feel like I mean obviously I've never gone through thankfully anything as serious as as what Harry's going through but I just find this so relatable because that's how I work I don't want to I force myself to or someone forces me to like mm. you do occasionally and then I can't stop and then I feel better and I just like I really really love this moment because I find it so real because I relate to it so much yeah and it, it and, and it's relatable in general to what people say about the benefits of therapy and people's experiences with that of it being very difficult to talk to but therapeutic therapeutic duh helpful in the end yeah. cathartic yeah definitely and like you know I had my first experiences of like 
therapy this year like actual proper therapy and yeah it was like very much that like before you'd be like oh my god like this is so much to go through and so much context and like i don't really want to and it's personal and blah 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 and then it's that thing you start you can't stop and Mm. after it feels so much better so like I i do love that dumbledore like kind of forces him to and and I think it's good that he forces him to on the night so that kind of... Obviously, he, do, he does have to tell a couple of people after, but he, it kind of gets the worst of it over with because very much like Harry wouldn't be able to move on. He needs to get this out and say it because mm. otherwise it's going to happen eventually and it's just going to be weighing on him that at some point he has to do this. Yeah. So it's better that he just does it and gets it out and it just clears his head. Yeah, 100%. So going back forward to the one thing again, this raised questions for me about so you know the whole Ollivander thing of the one chooses the wizard yeah the clear one that chose Harry was the one that shared the court of Voldemort and I had always thought that one chose him because he has a part of Voldemort's soul within him but something about Dumbledore's conversation here made me think over that again and think actually did the one choose him to offer him a form of protection these ones cannot fight each other so Voldemort's one does not work against Harry's so did this one choose him in some sort of effort in the way the one chooses the wizard maybe with Lily's blood running through Harry's veins as another layer of protection for Harry so Lily's blood made that one choose Harry Mm so that Harry would have another layer of protection. Yeah. Do you know something else I was thinking about a lot, re- a lot reading this? Something that, like, I think would be really nice is if after Voldemort's death, he had left f- um, Forks to Harry. Um, oh, Dumbledore's? Not Voldemort's. Yeah, sorry, brain. I was like, brain. Just what? confused two major characters. No, I realise in editing that I do that with Dumbledore and Voldemort specifically, continuously. Yeah. It's really annoying mm. and I do it so much. And at one point, like, I edited over them and now I've stopped doing it. You guys know what we're mm. talking about. I've clearly inherited that from you. It's yes. all your fault. Soz. I really would have liked that, I think, because... Harry has such a relationship with Fawkes. Yeah. I mean, from the moment that he thought he killed him to (laughs) him helping him in the Chamber of Secrets to hearing his song, you know, Mm -hmm. with the Priore and Cantatum from the fact that his feathers within his wand. I think that would have been really nice if after Dumbledore's death. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, obviously he had Hedwig. Obviously you can have multiple pets, but I don't know, like maybe maybe it's my headcanon that after the seventh book, Forks found Harry. No, I really like that. I think because Dumbledore hasn't doesn't have any relatives and I don't know if phoenixes are a bird that need an owner, but I feel like mm. not that they need an owner, they need a partner. Yeah. And I think the partner that is best suited is Harry. Yeah. And yeah, and... I don't know. I I, th- I feel like it would be nice. I feel like it makes sense. It completely goes without saying that we're ignoring anything that may or may not have happened or been said or implied in the second Fantastic Beasts. With that's not it's no like, nobody cares. <laughs> No, Joe. That's not a thing. So you're going to be like, oh, but you know, the reason that Dumbledore had... No. Shut up. No. Shut up. Not we canon. Need to, we need to decide at some point. Maybe you guys on the podcast can help us decide when the third film cuffs, comes out how and if you want us to cover that. Yeah. As like, people but, who are in the media of Harry Potter, but we can talk about that close so to the time. We will cover it, but it's whether you want us to cover it when it comes out in the cinema, which means us paying money to go see yeah. it, or if you want us to... Acquire it once it's out on DVDs via 
a non-monetary means. So after they talk through everything, they go down to the hospital wing and everyone is what there. What does happen to Forks? He flies off. I'm amazed that he doesn't come back in the seventh book. You would feel it like... It was meant to be an ending. It was meant to be like, he doesn't die, he flies away. And it's like Dumbledore... I think it was meant to be like Dumbledore's... So this book has the meaning of souls. Harry Potter has a concept of souls and we'll get into this a oh, fuck ton in book seven. But I think Forks, for me, always represented Dumbledore's physical body had died, but his soul was like Forks and was flying away. I guess, but then it's such like a reoccurring theme. Like, it would have been really nice if he had kind of come back... At some point, I don't know, you just feel like he would have swooped in at some point, you know? Yeah, but we hate the swooping saviour thing. And he'd already done that in book two. No, I completely agree. We take the piss, but we don't hate it. No, and I completely agree. I think Fawkes has got to go to someone. I don't like the idea. Fawkes lives forever. He has to keep changing owner. And I don't like the idea of him being alone. Yeah, I just think, like, Harry, he doesn't really get anything from Dumbledore in the end does he because everything he's kind of left by him is like a means to the end and also like he loses Hedwig in book seven so it would be nice like month later to be to be not replaced to have another pet which because he loves Hedwig so much and to to share that love and affection with yeah and there's just there's nothing in Dumbledore's will where it's actually like no this is actually for you yeah the rest that's all quest shit (laughs) But this is actually, there's no, there's not no. that. So it would be really nice, you know, maybe at the end of Battle of Hogwarts if Forks had like kind of Come swooped back to, Harry. to Harry and like that's kind of actually And maybe Dumbledore's... he didn't swoop to save someone, but he swooped to save just an injury in. that somebody had. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Or or even just, you know, just swoop down to be like, yo, Harry, I'm here. Hello. I'm yours now. You know? Anyway, so they all go into the hospital wing and everyone is there, the Weasleys worried. So Bill, Miss Weasley, Ron, Hermione. So Harry talks through everything that's happening and when he reveals that he saw his parents, Sirius grips his shoulder tighter. Yeah. I, I just, I really do love that he has this father figure there at that moment. A hundred percent. And then there's also a bit when Harry finishes up that he looks over at Sirius and he has his face in his hands. I do like this, but I really wish that it explicitly said that Sirius was crying. We get no mentions in like a lot of literature and media of like actual like explicit men crying just to kind of imply it by being like oh Sirius had his 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 face in his hands and I'm like no oh just actually say Sirius was crying he would be crying yeah you're right and like even later in this chapter I'm gonna get into it during the Harry and Mrs Weasley hug it never explicitly mentions Harry crying Mm. And the books never do. It always talks about him, he needed to wipe his eyes on something afterwards. And it's like, just say he cried. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but like, Sirius would be crying at this. This is sad, horrific shit. Like, let him cry. Yeah. He could cry. That's okay. Don't don't just be like, he had his face in his... No, just say, and Sirius was crying. Yeah. Like, that's okay. Men should cry. Process your emotions. Suicide rates within men is crazy high. Have emotions. Do emotions emotions are good process them experience let them out just cry it's My also really hot cried since he was seven men crying genuinely hot stop saying that because no. that uses men crying no i'm not sexualizing men crying you are a bit I'm just saying, no, I genuinely, my taste of men, you know this, I like men that are not all about the whole masculinity thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I like effeminate men. So, you know, there have been times when men have broken down to me crying about very serious things and I've just been like, 
Want to bang? <laughs> Internally, obviously, I've not voiced it then, but I'm like, this is kind of getting me going. Sorry. So there's just this really funny sentence where Harry gets changed behind the curtains and Wait, then we need to then actually say that he's gone to the hospital. He's, got, he's gone to the hospital wing. Everyone's there. The Wheezy's there. He's I did say that and then you went backwards. <laughs> He's gone to the hospital wing. The Wheezy's are there. And there's this sentence where it says he gets changed behind the curtains. And then everyone comes around the screen and it lists everyone and then says, everyone comes around the screen, lists everyone. And then it says, and they sat on chairs. And it's including the dog in this. And I'm like, did the dog <laughs> sit on a chair? Like, did Sirius, I more imagine Sirius like climbing on the bed at Harry's feet and cuddling his feet, not sitting on a chair okay. as a human. Like, hi. But then hi. you've got to imagine hi. that he is still a on human a man. You wouldn't have a 30-year-old man, cl- hopefully, climb, okay, on, okay, okay. Well, climb into on... bed with his, like... Okay, then sit on the floor. Don't sit on a chair, serious. But he's a man. And, like, dogs, sit, dogs, dogs sit on chairs. Not huge dogs. Yeah, no. love like a cat. So Harry gets given a sleeping potion, but he doesn't finish it all. And a few, what we assume is a few hours later, he wakes up as McGonagall and Fudge come into the room screaming at each other. What we find out is Fudge had a Dementor accompanying him to interview Crouch. And when the Dementor entered the room and saw Crouch, he immediately sucked out his soul. <laughs> Fudge calls this regrettable. A man... And it doesn't matter what this man has done. A man has been murdered, essentially. His body's still alive, but his soul has been locked, sucked out. For all, so for all intents and purposes, he has been murdered before any trial has taken place. Before, on the night that the crimes happened, the man has been murdered by a member of what is meant to be the authority. Mm-hmm. And the minister calls it regrettable. So the thing is here is that there are... There are some very obvious parallels we can take to current society mm. about people just being straight up murdered without trial and whether they're guilty or not is irrelevant because you you don't just kill people. Yeah. Like that. that I mean, that's Crouch not... is guilty. Yeah, but you, you still... The punishment but, there is... Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Just, it's not the point. Yeah, there are really obvious parallels that, that we could draw and I think that goes without saying and I, I think I'm going to do the thing where I say we're not only not qualified to talk about that but also like you know how we feel about kind of like those kind of metaphors and obviously... And I think that's drawing metaphors too far because Crouch's guilt is obvious in the books and it, and it, and it it's quite... it's. <sighs> but it, I, I just... It's one of those things where we want to be like this is horrific and is kind of one of these things that becomes like like an extreme case because it's you know in a magical society but very sadly no it's not this kind of shit does happen yeah every single day and it's absolutely disgusting that the prime minister is just basically like oops Oops. we done kill someone no like it it's (sighs) so problematic to say the least yeah it's incredibly problematic and Dumbledore is the one to have to point out to Fudge that at the least, as as well as this is just horrific, it means that no trial can ever take yeah. place and we cannot gain answers mm-hmm. into the fact of why he did this, which is a big reason why, like, I mean, some countries have, when they arrest someone, like a shoot to kill order, whereas in the UK, and I'm not saying the UK policing system is good because we know it isn't, but we at least have a system of 
you know, we, we capture and take into custody. We very rarely shoot to kill someone because you need to understand the reasons why someone has done things and what led them to this to be able to prevent future crimes. Like, it's, it's, it's backwards to suggest we should just kill people on sight unless it is absolutely necessary to saving the life of many, many other people, yeah. essentially. So, yeah, it, there's a hell of a lot of real-world parallels with this, which I'm just like, okay, fine, great, lovely. Yeah. And it also means, of course, that it's one less person to say, yeah, Voldemort's back. Exactly. Which then contributes to so, Fudge just doesn't believe them. Yeah, so, so Dumbledore tells Fudge that Voldemort is back and Fudge will not believe them. And Harry realises that Fudge read Skeeter's article yeah. this morning. So Harry says to him, he's like, you've been, been read- reading, reading Skeeter. Rita Skeeter, haven't you? So I'm like, I read this and I was like, my gut reaction and what I really want to be able to say here is that it's so unbelievable that like a leader of a company would read something essentially in a, a tabloid. Huh? Country. Country. What did I say? Company. Company. I'm so dumb. It's okay. Um, I'm so tired and drunk. That a leader of a country would read something in a tabloid and then fully believe it and just be that gullible and thick that would be like you know the leader of our country (laughs) reading something in the daily mail and just taking it for fact and then i'm like wait no no that is what happens that's just what both us and the us and i'm sure many other companies are dealing with countries oh my god (laughs) i'm sorry i'm that much of a corporate drone that actually i think that the government should be this is like all a private company and and just replaced Uh... by amazon just Jeff, Jeff Bezos, Bezos is our overlord president. now. Jeff Bezos for queen. Um, Please no. <laughs> but yeah, that is very much the situation where we just have these bumbling fucking idiots that just believe anything that they read and are too thick to actually think critically. Too thick, but also too self-centred and self-serving and that they know that not only they need to pretend to believe this narrative, but also further this narrative for their own self-interest. Yeah, so, that's, um, so talking about self-interest, <laughs> I have a a lot of notes on this so fudge says that he basically thinks that dumbledore and the others are trying to destabilize the peace that he himself has built and presided over during the last 13 years he keeps saying that anything dumbledore suggests about voldemort being back and about measures to stop him would kick him out of office they would sack me immediately and this is the most, I think this is the one of the most realistic and incredible parallels she has written to real life politicians. Mm. He is so convinced by the narrative he himself has written and so blinded by his love of power. Even though Fudge isn't your typical power hungry villain, he loves his own idea of power. He loves being in office and he that means he has lost all all sight of what is actually good. And this is such a good parallel to Boris Johnson and to Donald Trump, who love their own power so much that they lose sight of what is actually happening around them. I mean, Boris Johnson is still saying that the UK's reaction to coronavirus and the UK's handling of coronavirus has been exemplary, exemplary. and like an example to the world. The UK has the highest death rate per capita, per amount of people in the world. Yeah. In the world. And Boris Johnson wants to say that our handling of it has been 
incredible because he is so blinded by his love of office and his love of being in charge. And we know he has wanted to be in charge from when he first entered the public sphere. This could be Boris Johnson, but this was written 15 years ago. It's... And, and it's amazing that all politicians are the same because she's written a politician that now exists today because it did exist then because politicians all want the same thing. And like so many politicians enter the political sphere because they want to do good, but they are so blinded by the power and by the corruption within the political system today that they just become obsessed with their own idea of power and this is exactly what fudge is and he's written so well he's been built up over three books harry thought he was a good person you know the same way we people do boris johnson he's like oh you know he's a man of the people he's like posh but he's like bumbling you know he gets what's good in the world no he's corrupted and evil and this is just the most incredible writing of a politician yeah so i've got two things to say about fudge Mm. The first of which is that, like, I really love what you're saying about power. And I think something I find quite interesting with this is, I mean, we've talked about the wizarding economy and the lack of sense that it makes before. But I think that the reason that, like, our modern day politicians want power is because they know that they can profit profit off it. I do think that there is a certain sense of just wanting power for the sake of power as well. But I think primarily, definitely the system that we have within the UK is that the Tories want power and like power because it means that they and their friends can actually directly profit off it. This is this is a system that we have that is how politics functions, is funded and becomes like a circular system. So I think that we don't know much about the wizarding economy and we don't know kind of what capitali- what form capitalism takes within the wizarding economy. It definitely has some parallels, but seems to be kind of like a less sophisticated, less structured form. So mm. I just, I'm quite curious as to, you know, does Fudge want power for the sake of power or is he profiting on the power? And mm. if so, how? Um, and we never really get to see that. And I would have liked, I mean, obviously I know that at the end of the day, there's kind of fantasies, not kids books, kind of becomes YA books, but obviously there is no no way to elaborate on everything but there's kind of like just one of those unanswered questions i would love to you know i mean obviously if i sat down in a room with jk rowling i would punch her in the fucking face but i'd punch her in the face and then i'd be like so the economy yes yeah, so tell me um, about the economy the second thing that i want to say about cornelius fudge is growing up my sister had a oh what's the word like a you know those little stuffed toys stuffed toys no the little the the, the like branded ones that like people collect that everyone beanie had. babies beanie babies beanie babies she had this little like beanie baby of this dog with like like long big flappy ears we don't even like dogs but you know she had and it was called Cornelius fudge i cannot read anything about fu- i picture this little beanie baby <laughs> i will take a photo of, a photo of it next time i go home i just picture this being anytime so like this this scene with Fudge yelling at Dumbledore, being like, Voldemort's not back. No, in my in my brain, that's a little be- beanie baby dog. Cute. So to try to convince Fudge, Snape shows him the dark mark on his arm. Fudge is not convinced by any of this. He's not convinced by anything Harry, by Dumbledore, or by Snape is saying. And basically says they're all making it up, which, why would they be? What, what would be the benefit of people making this up? <sighs> there is a... 
a tiny part of me that is slightly sympathetic towards Fudge because I think that not only is this fueled out of his want for power, which we see, you know, he's he specifically says that he doesn't want to reach out to the giants because it would lose him office, even though politically that's what he needs to do now mm-hmm. to try and stop Voldemort gaining power. So I think there is, there is an element of that, you know, self-interest. But I also just think that he's very representative of the entire wizarding society and we see this in the next book that no one the general public does not want to believe Voldemort's back and that is denial and fear and I think that that is very human so I, I can excuse that part of Fudge that that is scared of this like he yeah. does he they've doesn't, already lived through so many yeah, years of Voldemort's reign he's scared he he doesn't want to admit it so part of me is like sympathetic towards that because you wouldn't want to believe he's back no. and and I think that you know it's 50% power, 50% him just not wanting to believe that he's back because he's really, really scared. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. And the Wizarding World has lived through Voldemort's reign, so they will do everything they can to not believe that he's back because it was the worst time of any of their lives. So, yeah, you're right in that Exactly. Sense. So, Fudge gives Harry his prize winnings and leaves. Dumbledore then gets shit done. He's like, you do this, you do this, you do this. Yeah. So he says, Arthur... He has been preparing. He knows, he knows. He's got his game plan. He's he's had he's this, had this for, for like 15 years. Fucking long time. So yeah. he's like, someone needs to alert Arthur because Arthur needs to be the one to round up people in the ministry who are sympathetic. So Bill's like, I'm going to go. So Bill goes and does that. Do, does that. <laughs> he asks for someone to bring him Hagrid and Maxime to his office. He asks for Sirius to transform and Mrs. Weasley is like, oh my god, help! Um, which, Ron has kept this from his... I'm trying to... I would love a scene of the conversation between Ron and Mrs. Weasley with Mrs. Weasley being like, you knew? And Ron's like, no. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, because <laughs> this is fucking funny because Mrs. Weasley's like, oh my god, it's Sirius Black, help me! This dog that's been there the whole time. I love her. I love it. Who um, did she think the dog was? Why did right, she no, think no, there no. was a dog there? No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't mind Mrs. Weasley. Snape is surprised by the dog. I'm like, who the fuck did you think that dog was, Snape? You, yeah. You knew that Sirius was an... As far as I'm aware, Snape knows that Sirius is an illegal animagus. No, he doesn't. No, he does. No, he doesn't. Because he knew that they used to run around together. Does he? He knows they used to sneak off. Anyway, even if he doesn't for sure, he must have had suspicions and he's still like, whoa, that dog's serious. I'm like, how How did you not think that dog was serious? But like, of course that dog is serious. No, I can excuse him not knowing, but you would be like wondering. I know, exactly. You're not why like, is there a dog why here? Why is there a dog? Harry's never shown interest in a dog and now there's a fucking dog here. Like, exactly. come on, Snape. Um, Arabella Fig is given a little mention, which is a nice little hint for uh, book five, but also a character we already know. I like it. Snape is told to go go do something mysterious, which is really obvious given everything we know that he's going to Voldemort. But Harry's like, he wondered what Snape had to do. I'm like, I think you know. (laughs) Okay, we don't like Snape, but can we just think what poor Snape? Oh my God. This it how like we it goes without saying we do not like snake but could you imagine knowing that you you were, you were in this situation you were going to have to go back and pretend pretend so he then has to pretend that he waited to convince dumbledore yeah. that he's like a so what is he at this point a a, a triple agent yeah he's a triple agent I, isn't he yeah i can't lie i can't even tell the truth if you're like i don't know like i remember like 
in primary school, like if something got stolen, they'd be like, who stole this? And I would turn bright red oh, and yeah. look so... I didn't do Sweating. it. Sweating. Mm. Snape is ve- Snape is very talented. Yeah. And he's very brave. This is the thing. He is very brave. Yeah. This takes... I couldn't do this. I'd run away. This takes yeah. so much bravery to do and, what he's doing. Yeah. I, I would just like love to see that, that scene, that conversation between oh, him and Voldemort. This is why we need the Netflix version, because we need bits that aren't from Harry's perspective. Yeah. So Harry's left alone with the Weasleys, and he says the goal should be should be Cedric's. And he blames himself for taking the cup. And the text doesn't say explicitly, but it basically says he starts to cry. His throat hurts, his eyes hurt, and tears start to fall. Just say he cried. I know. So Mrs. Weasley leans over and hugs him. And Harry says he has no memory of being held like this, as if by a mother. And as an adult, my heart... I don't think I've ever felt so sad reading these books. Because I cannot imagine getting to... 14 years old and not being held in that loving way and i know there are people in real life who i know it's not unrealistic there are people who are in this situation and do go through this but it's just so horrific to imagine growing up without that type of love and support Mm -hmm. because it's so fundamental obviously i'm so thankful mrs weasley is here and that she loves him like a son and it's so incredible but your heart just breaks for Harry that he has had to go through more than any 15 or any anyone, any adult should ever have to go through. And yet he also can't remember being hugged as if by a mother. Yeah, it's very sad. So they're both crying. The text doesn't say that explicitly, but they're both but crying they whilst holding each and other. And if you're which... a man or anyone listening to this, it's okay to cry, please cry. I do imagine Ron's just sitting there like, yeah. Which Ron? You should just join in crying. Just, just have a cry. You deserve a cry. Everyone Hermione a cry. is not there crying because Hermione's climbed up to a windowsill a few beds down, <laughs> slams it shut, and then is like, ooh, sorry. Hermione's like, I know you've got shit going I on. I get this, but I've got a thing. I've got a thing, actually. But um, also, like, go her for being aware because, because she did not want this moment, Harry's private moment, private business, this horrific thing he's going through, publicised. So when everyone else, and when she totally has the right to be thinking about literally anything else, yep. she's like, no, Rita Skeeter, gonna get that bitch. I am protecting my friend. What? A queen. And that's the end of the chapter as Hermione slams the window. On to the final chapter, chapter 37, The Beginning. A lovely name for a chapter as we move into the more adult books. The Beginning. The beginning of a new... A beginning of a new series of Goblet of Wine? I'll shut up. Yeah. It's the next day and Harry has to meet with the Diggories, which, wow, wow. That's a horrific, impossible thing to go through. Yeah. It's... Why could Dumbledore have just not done this? He did, but I guess Harry would have been asked and Harry being Harry was like, okay, fine. Yeah. I mean, I think he feels so upset about Cedric, he would have said yes to meeting them. I think because he, he feels guilty. Yeah, it's just quite a brutal thing, Vavdron, to it's explain so... to his parents how he died. Yeah, it's a horrific thing. Yeah. Harry tries to offer them his winnings. They refuse. Uh, they go to Hagrid's and Hagrid mentions he has a job to do for Dumbledore this summer. And then we skip forward to the leaving feast. But also, um, ha- Hagrid says that Harry did as much as his father would have done and then Harry says he smiles for the first time in days. 
And I was just like, I don't know, I, I love Hagrid for his ability to always say or do what needs to be done. Yeah, I also... And he's one of the only characters that really, like, goes out of his way to, like, give Harry that connection to his parents, whether that's giving him a photo album or making these kind of, like, comparisons and that kind of thing. And he... Oh, he just... he As much as he puts his foot in it, he also really does always know what to say. And I just love that. This is such, like, a kind, thoughtful and tender moment. And I also think it has, like... It's just so nice because when Harry was in the graveyard, he was trying to do what he thought his dad would do. So then to hear Hagrid say, you acted as your dad would have. It's just like, chef's kiss. Love it. I know. And I think like we've talked about Dumbledore's quotes in the last few chapters and how profound they've been. But I actually love Hagrid's quote in this chapter, which is what's coming will come and we'll face it when we when it comes. And it's like. It's so simplistic compared to Dumbledore's profound quotes, but it's the one that Harry remembers right at the end of this chapter, what's coming will happen and he'll have to face it when it does. And it's just true. There's nothing he can do. He's just got to carry on. And Hagrid's simplicity ends up being the thing that helps him most. And yeah, yeah, you're right. Because Hagrid is such a good father figure, which is why Hagrid's kid should have been named after him, not Albus and Snape. Yep. We skip forward to the leaving feast and they all raise a glass to Cedric. Ced. Dumbledore announces to the school that Cedric was murdered by Voldemort. So he chooses to say this in front of the whole school and they then raise a glass to Harry. Dumbledore says some more sick quotes, which I think are very relatable in the modern era about all sticking together. We are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided, which is good given, like, current situations and shit. I mean, not physically united, because we could give each other corona. I was more thinking, like, other things. That's what I was going to say. Not corona, but uh, other things. I was more thinking, like, war and other issues. Brexit. Brexit. Not corona. Do not unite with people. Don't touch them. Yeah, me and Charlie haven't, like, touched each other since she's been back in London, so... Yeah. I mean, I have let myself in in the middle of the night and stroked your face but aside from that I, yeah I mean I did give you my key because yeah. me and Neil have locked ourselves out multiple times but that isn't what I gave it to you for but that's what I've used it for great but like we've Edward not Cullen in the first Twilight oh book. yeah no I've drawn you both as well whilst you're that's sleeping that's not what Edward does you haven't read Twilight <laughs> no I haven't next no, month no, Charlie what? reads Twilight for the first time oh no I have talked to the patrons about maybe doing something like that <laughs> Um, but actually what I was referencing was Buffy when Angel draws Buffy in her sleep. Creepy. Why don't all men keep drawing Why and do follow looking at people? Vampires just breaking in the night. And But yeah, that's what I've been doing to you two. Great. Um, but what we mean to say is that we have not touched each other whilst one of us is... Both of us have been conscious. So don't touch each other. COVID. Thanks. No touching. No touching. Sorry, another cultural reference that... Uh, uh, Hannah is not going to get. Was it from? Just always called you Hermione then. <laughs> sure, you can call me It's that. from Arrested Development. Okay. So it's the last day. Fleur comes to say goodbye to Harry. She hopes to get a job in the UK next year to improve her English. That's a terrible French accent. Yeah. Crumb also comes to say goodbye to Hermione, um, asks for a word. They go off for a little bit and then he says goodbye to Harry and Ron. 
Then they're on the train and Hermione finally spills the beans about Rita Skeeter. So, uh, Rita Skeeter... We missed the bit when Ron asked Crom for his <laughs> autograph. So cute. Yep. Mm-hmm. Love Ron. I love Ron's growth, you know? Is it growth or is it fucking dirty hypocrisy? Both. So Hermione reveals that Rita Skeeter is an unregistered animagus. She is a bug. And Hermione has kept this bug woman in a jar for the last week. She has kept a grown woman in a jar for a week. Who hasn't? Right. I love it. I appreciate it. But did Hermione think through what if Rita Skeeter had family who she lives with, a partner that she lives with, housemates that she lives with, who might have thought, hey, Rita hasn't come back in a week. Should we report her missing? Because a 15-year-old girl has put her in a jar. How was she feeding her? What was she feeding her? Because what I don't get is a like... A jar. It's like, okay, so you transform into an animal. Okay, so Sirius transforms into a dog. That doesn't mean... He's still a human. He doesn't want to eat dog food. That shit's disgusting. I mean, I know it talks about him eating rats. And I guess if you're, you're starving, I mean, your stomach, but... Your stomach is now the stomach of the animal. But you still... Your mind, you don't want to so like... Have you listened I mean, to the latest episode eat? from Fanatical Fix? Where the the Animagus McGonagall eats a rat who is an Animagus of another animal. <laughs> it's so fucking good! It's so good! you got to listen to the latest episode. Okay. It's so fucking good. Yeah, shout out. Everyone go listen to Fanatical Fix. But um, Mike, what do bugs eat? Leaf. Leaf. I'm all for what she did because Rita Skeeter is a terrible person. But I just want to point out a 15-year-old girl kept a grown woman in a jar for a week. Yeah. Human jar. Anyway, so... Hermione's a psychopath. She is. I love, love it, her. but she's a psychopath. So Draco comes in and starts to boast that Voldy is back. They all curse <laughs> Draco and Crab and Goyle. And what the fuck did they expect Okay, we're now going to have the background noise because Hannah's cat has just worked out how to use the scratching post. But it's still so new. Look, he's oh, trapped inside of it. I think this is why he isn't picking it up very well because he does it and then he's like, and now I stuck. Help. <laughs> Bless him. Oh, you're a good boy. Uh, so then the twins come along and help stun them. And then Harry asks who they were blackmailing. Yeah. So they explain about Ludo. Um... And then the train... Wait, let's go over Ludo a bit. So Ludo didn't pay them up the money they were owed from the World Cup. And then even after that, did not give them their own money back. Which was, we worked out a lot of money. Yeah. We worked it out quite a lot. We find out that Ludo borrowed money from the goblins and was in a huge amount of gambling debt, which is kind of sad. Like, it's a kind of sad storyline of this, like, fallen sportsman. Yeah. And all of that. So to try to pay the money back, he bet for Harry in the Trivers Tournament, which is why he'd been trying to help Harry all year. So he is the big red herring of the book. Yeah. Everyone else was involved in the plot and Ludo was just trying to help for his own game. Again, it's the big kind of, oh, it's Ludo all along. So Harry, after hearing all of this and hearing that Fred and George lost the money and trying to offer the Triwizard money to many different people, gives Fred and George his tri-wizard winnings says explicitly it's for the joke shop i this love is harry just fucking i hate brilliant. harry why do you hate him what's wrong i hate him for like most of the books like i don't hate him but i just kind of dislike him it's that kind of thing where it's like the main character and you're just like yeah. uh 
you're annoying, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he has his reasons, but also, like, we know Harry's dumb. We know that he gets really angsty and emo. And for the most part, I'm like, meh, on Harry as a character. Yeah. Don't love him. Don't hate him. In this moment, I love him. It's... There's a lot of things he could have done with the money, and I'm sure if he hadn't thought Fred and George, he would have given it to charity or would have found another way to give it to Mrs. Weasley or the Weasleys in some way, and he would have done things for Ron and things like that. But I love that he chooses Fred and George, who are not the most obvious choice he does in part because when he tried to offer it to mrs weasley it was like a passing upset comment he was like you take it i don't care obviously mm. mrs weasley wasn't gonna be like okay then sure yeah but he offers it to fred and george for real with no regrets about giving up that money he really wants he wants something good to come out of this and I just love it. Yeah, I and just he really sees it as love his it. way of like repaying the family in a way that he knows that they would never ever accept it. And a way he knows it will he is pretty convinced the Weasley twins will be successful, so he knows it will help everyone. Which yeah. you know, if we look at the seventh book, obviously we don't know how the joke shop goes further than that because unfortunately Fred dies. Um but you know, they buy like Mrs. Weasley a new necklace for the wedding and they're able to we know if the joke shop continued, they're able to support the family and Harry made such a good investment. In, them, yeah. in a way that was actually useful to the family. Yeah. And he also asked him to buy Ron better dress robes, <laughs> which is re- just, again, this book, Harry just, I feel like... He's got a lot of emotional like maturity. The fourth book is when Harry kind of like emotionally matures enough to start thinking about other people. And then it all goes wrong in the fifth book where shit gets so real that he kind of at least has like a valid excuse not to. Yeah. Um. So we get the, like this brief bit in the fourth book where Harry is actually thinking about other people and not just being self-obsessed and then it just all goes wrong. Yeah, I love that he asked them to buy Ron new dress robes. It's really nice. It's absolutely lovely. They all say goodbye and the book chooses to take a sentence to point out that Hermione kisses Harry on the cheek. I made a note as well. And it explicitly points out that this is something she'd never done before. This is a very explicit, and I don't mean explicit in the sense of explicit as in rude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean explicit in the sense the book chooses to draw attention to it in what is the last paragraph of the book. So therefore, I wanted to focus on it because I've always found this sentence really interesting. Because some people use it as their, like, kickoff for harmony. I think what it's drawing attention to is what we've been talking about, which is the the moving to YA slash almost adult literature. Not to mean this can't be read to children, which is what somebody tweeted us recently. It doesn't mean these books are no longer appropriate to children. It means that these books now have much stronger adult relatable themes. And layers. Like and la- onions. Like Ogres have layers. Yeah. Onions have layers. Harry Potter is Shrek. Canon. I think J.K. Rowling wanted a sentence that epitomised that, but also showed that perhaps Hermione had matured more than the boys. I think for me, it's like a sibling thing because I was thinking about when I was 14 and I had like several close friends when I was close male friends when I was 14 Mm -hmm. would I have platonically kissed either of them on the cheek god no No. so I think for me the fact that she's willing to do this because even like even the boys that I like dated at 14 I did not have we did not kiss on the cheek I think I I think I remember when I started kissing friends on the cheek like male and female friends I think it was around 18 19 Mm. when I started to yeah, just do that I mean, automatically. At now 14, I do, now I do it. Uh, I was about to say now I do it very automatically. No, nope. not anymore. 
not nope. kissing anybody on the cheek. But yeah, like at 14, I would not even kiss my boyfriend. I mean, she's nearly there. 16 at this point. But Hermione, as we find out later, has had her first kiss during the book. And we know she is slightly more emotional, emotionally mature than the, the boys from evidence that just suggests in the way she acts around Crumb. But also the books are moving to a point where they're at a more emotionally mature place. And I feel that the sentence was put in there to display that. Yeah. And I also think for me, like, I think you could, if you if you wanted to force it, read this romantically. But for me, I read it as a pure opposite. I think if there was anything romantic there, she wouldn't have done this. I, I feel like this is like a sisterly, brotherly Yeah, I feel like thing. she's too embarrassed and awkward to do this to Ron because... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I see that as the opposite. Yeah, That's the last I just find I it, had. It's the last letter I had. I just found it so interesting that J.K. Rowling chose to pull this out in the final paragraph. Yeah. And I want to talk about why. But that is the end of the chapter. It is. And that's the end of the book. Yeah, we read a book, Hannah. How did you feel about this book, Charlie? I love this book. I love this book. A lot. It's just, I mean, it's my favourite book. It's got so much in it and it just really turns the series from childhood to adulthood. And it's just the most comforting to me. Yeah, we have read four books. We have three left. Yeah, me and Charlie were discussing the fact whether we're halfway through or not because technically the halfway through, if you're doing it by books, is halfway through book four. If you're doing it by words, it's not until way into book five. But if you're doing it by chapters, it's around now. And we split this podcast by chapters, so we're roughly halfway through. Yeah, but we do think that going forward, we're going to have to do more one-chapter episodes because they get a lot longer and a lot denser. Yeah. But we need to work out how to do that and when to do that. It is a bit of an organisational nightmare. But yeah, yeah, I just, like, in terms of, like, I don't know, because we always say we didn't think we'd even finish book one. We didn't even think we'd so finish book one. So now the fact that we're over halfway in terms of books is wild. wild. So, yeah, I never... I, I mean, yeah, we always... And you guys are like, you're recurring jokes, but we never did think we'd get this far. And to get to the point where we're doing my favourite book, like the one which when we... Because st- when we started, I know we've said this lately, but when we started, I was like, we've just got to get through books one and two. I mean, get through. They're still great, yeah. but I was like, there's not much meat in them. And I was like, when we get to book four, there's so much to unpack, so much that we can talk about. And now we're here. Yeah. And now we're like, there's so much to talk about, we don't have room for the funnies. Yeah. And because we're just not funny. Yeah, we're not funny. No, that just, you reiterating that just sounds like we're seeking compliments. Tell us we're funny. Tell us we're funny. Anyway, Anyway. we have a question. Oh, God, yeah. From Sydney, who wants to know that considering everything that's happened with JK, do you think a TV adaption would still be worth it? This is quite a good question. We've made a lot of jokes about this this episode of last. Yes, when she's dead. Let's kill her. But she's not going to die for a while. Um, Yeah. Uh, the thing is, okay, here's the thing. J.K. Rowling is rich. J.K. Rowling is rich to the point where if she never made another penny starting right now from Harry Potter or any of her other, you know, ventures, ventures, she would still be making more money monthly than you could conceive because of investments and interest. J.K. Rowling is rich. And that's all she needs to continue being rich at this point. Mm. So I kind of, as much as I don't want to financially support her anymore on a kind of like moral basis, you know, I will where it's kind of not unavoidable, obviously, but you know. Yeah. 
But yeah. I just... And I was like... I was actually talking to my mum about this at the weekend because we started watching the latest TV adaption of Strike. And my mum, she knows what J.K. Rowling has done. She knows it's terrible. But she did raise the point I've raised in the podcast of does the millions and millions and millions of pounds J.K. Rowling has raised for Alzheimer's and for MS not negate some of the bad things she's done. And I was like, I don't think it negates at all her opinion, but I do see the valid point that, you know, that money didn't exist otherwise to MS. And and, and this isn't saying that we forgive her, but I do see what people are saying when they say that. And there's like, it, it basically nothing is a black and white issue. But yeah, yeah you're right in that we can su- stop supporting JK Rowling as much as we want, but she'll still be a rich person who will do what she wants with her money. Yeah. Exactly. Like, there is no stopping her being rich at this point and us, you know, not buying one thing and, you know, not doing a TV show or whatever is going to make absolutely no difference at this point. think that it will do harm in terms of, like, kind of furthering the platform that she has. And yeah. I think that's where we kind of need, like, Twitter to ban her as it as Twitter has banned others at this point. Um, I think yeah, it's that... stopping her spreading her messaging of hatred rather than, like, stopping her... Yeah, and obviously she doesn't do that directly through the text, and obviously I would not want a Netflix or similar show to happen of Harry Potter if it was going to give her the creative licence to kind of... Yeah. ...go back and, and rewrite things that include messages of, hey, I think that goes without saying, but I think Harry Potter in its current state belongs to the fans, and I think that if we were ever to have, like, a TV show that were kind of true to the text that we have now. I think that that would be like a good a, a good thing. The only caveat would be, I guess, you know, continuing her kind of like platform. But I think that's when we need, and this is maybe unrealistic to say, but we need social platforms to step in and yeah. take responsibility for. I also think as much as both of us like talk about the idea and how much we love the idea of like a Netflix adaption, in my head, the best way to make it work is to have a much larger cooling off period between the films and between the original Definitely. book release than there is now. If they announced it tomorrow, I would think that would be a terrible, terrible idea. I do yeah. not think it's been long enough. And as much as we both want it, and we both have so many ideas about how good an alternative adaption could be with more time, I think there has to be so much of a longer gap between when the original films came out. Because until there is... People are trying to correct ideas that were in the film, which is not the right way to go about it. The right way is to think of it from a fresh start. Yeah. And I think no one can do that until another 20 years. So yeah. although and- I love the idea, I don't think it's... And although I do want it to happen, and I agree you're right that, like, is J.K. Rowling the right person to be on board? I think it's something that could be assessed better in 20 years when... We don't know what J.K. Rowling's position within the Harry Potter community will be within 20 years because if she continues to act like she is now, there's a good chance she could be banned from a lot of things and could no longer be associated with Harry Potter, which would be the ideal situation. Yeah, and I and I also think this is the thing as well, is like, you know, we, we say that we want it and we want it because we feel like the original films didn't do Harry Potter enough service, but I don't know if I actually do... In- in practice want it just because I think that there is an incredible amount of fantasy out there that doesn't get the the attention that it should and I think that there is literature written by other authors and particularly you know more diverse authors that isn't given the same kind of like fanfare and marketing spend as Harry Potter is and if we could remake Harry Potter again or if we could actually you know give that opportunity to a different writer who 
you know, we can then give them the platform as opposed to kind of, you know, reigniting the fanfare around JK Rowling and furthering her platform. You know, if we could actually give this to someone that has like incredible messages behind their work and their personal politics and, and you know, kind of help to raise up the voice of a marginalised group, I think that that would be the better thing to do. Like, why do we keep remaking the same films when we could actually be, you know... I have the answer to that. Especially in the current climate, we remake the same films and do redos and do reboots because we are all so, like, confused about the future that it is comforting. Nah, it's because they know it's going to make money. Well, that. There's two levels. It's comforting to rewatch something from a consumer's perspective and also it's a surefire way to make money, whereas yeah, exactly. making but, new stuff is a risk. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that we should be making new oh, yeah. things because artistically and i and i think that the kind of remaking old things is really like speaking down to the consumer so i guess at the end of the day you actually you know offered me a harry potter remake as much as i want to see it happen it's not that i want the remake it's that i want it to be done correctly in the first place so i wish that we could go back time and make the harry potter tv show as it as it should have been um like a game of thrones style one and i wish that we could have done that correctly originally and that's not to say there's a lot that I love about the Harry Potter films. But oh, yeah. Basically, what I want is to go back in time and redo it properly, but I don't want to do it again. I do want to do it again, but I want a very long cooling off period. Yeah. I want like 20 years. Yeah, that was a very long answer to that question. It was, basically. but thank you. That was a very good that question, was a good actually. Um, anyway. But J.K. Rowling is trash. She is. What a good way to finish book four. Yeah, and um, we will see you next episode for the film. Ah, the film. Thank you guys so much for listening for four seasons. Somehow. Somehow. Why are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> what does that say about you? Exactly. Love Please you. leave. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons Vera, Veronica, Sandra, Samuel, Rhiannon, Redbeard, Metalib, Mike, Kristen, Katie, Catherine, Nathan, and Jacqueline. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.